You're listening to NGSC Sports Radio. Hear us live on NGSCSports.com, where you can get awesome analysis for all things sport. Or check out our podcasts on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, iTunes, TuneIn, and much more. For our latest videos, head to NGSC Sports' YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at NGSC Sports and like us on Facebook. NGSC Sports. We never stop. Oh, we're just having fun here on on the podcast. Trying to fast forward through NXT and get to the moment I've been waiting for for nearly a year, which is the and what's that? The debut of Adam Cole, baby. Oh yes. I think he's I think he's going to come out and cut a promo. I'll see NXT and come on till ten, but it came on at eight. So, oh, it's an next well, I mean, it's fine. I just got home a few minutes ago, so yeah, you know, it's you've had a good couple. You've had a good couple weeks. You got you got Bobby Roode up, and you got uh, Adam Cole up. So Bobby Roode, Bobby Roode was on NXT tonight too, facing Roddy Strong. That's on right now. That's what I'm trying to. Count I thought he was in. Uh, he was on SmackDown. He is. He, he's doing kind of like a final, like unfinished business kind of match or something. Before, you know, I mean, he's up, but, you know, they probably take this last week or something, so. Oh, uh, okay. That's all it is. It's just the tape thing. But, uh, yeah, man, it's a big day in the Bradshaw house. Uh, it's Cali started kindergarten today. Mm-hmm, I saw. Um, then uh, she had cheerleading tonight. And I worked till six. She had her, she had her cheerleading pictures done today uh, at the most blessed place on earth, the uh, Rocky Mount Football Stadium. Of course. Now, now, now known as now known as Bishop Stadium, of course. But you know, to her, yeah, that, to her, that's where the Griffons played because that's where it gets named that's for where her daddy played. So that's how she sees it. Yeah. That's where her daddy played. So, um, it's a good times, man. Good times. Good. So, I picked her. I picked them up and uh, brought them home and got them to bed so I could come and. Chat with me, mate, because <laughs> hey, Ed, it was a big day in the Bradshaw house. It was a, it was an even bigger day, bigger week thus far, to be a red. Well, what a glorious week, and it's not over yet. It depends on what color or shade, really, of red that is. Uh, Blood red, my friend. Blood red. <sighs> That's some some fans have been seeing blood as we start the Foreign Affair podcast episode one hundred seventy three. I am Edward Green, joined back again by McCullen Crime, Wes Bradshaw, here to bring you the latest happenings in the Premier League. And um, yeah, we're gonna do things a little differently this week. We're gonna because there's so much happening. Transfer deadline is in literally nineteen now. 20 hours? Something like that. 20 hours. So we're going to be... Go ahead. uh, Yeah, we'll say 20 hours. So that's going to be happening. And since, you know, things will happen in the next 20 hours, because of course it does, um, we're going to talk a little bit about 
Uh, we're going to talk one match in the Premier League this week. The one that is the only one that really mattered, and and the one that has tra- that has sparked a lot of this transfer news. Um, we will we'll of course touch on the uh, the Champions League draw that happened last week, um, and then news and notes. We'll be talking a lot about these pra- uh, transfer stories that have been happening over the entire course of the summer, uh, as well as just in the last couple days, uh, and then of course hit the watch for and so raw. As always, this podcast presented to you by NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com. We never stop. And uh, apparently, neither can Liverpool scoring goals because that's what they did to Arsenal. As, as I put in our, uh, our rundown today, the demolishing of the Arsenal is what happened at Anfield. Liverpool 4 Arsenal nil. It was like the Beatles were back in town playing their greatest hits. Bobby Firmino, Sadio Mane, the new one, Mohamed Salah. He's like the fifth Beatle or something. And good old Daniel Sturridge even made an appearance. And three minutes later, he scored a goal and didn't get hurt. That was the best part. These four men scored to make Arsene Wenger's men weep. Or if you're Alexis Sanchez, laugh a lot and just make an absolutely wonderful edition of Arsenal Fan TV. So, Wes, this is this is one. Of course, we would talk about this game because it's it's Liverpool. But there, there are multiple, multiple things that we need to talk about for this match. But let's let's start with Liverpool fresh off a 4-2 beatdown of Hoffenheim at home in the second leg of their Champions League playoff uh, match in the midweek. And um, I don't remember their match before that in the league. Uh, that but was, it was a win. Uh, that was uh... – oh, It was 1-0. Mane had the goal. I don't remember who they played. Oh, oh my God. It suddenly just completely lost on me. It wasn't Watford. Was it Palace? It was Palace. That's it. There you go. So after after the one nil victory over Palace, four two over Hoffenheim, they come out and thrash Arsenal. This is granted, it's it's still August, so you don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. But this is a match that if you're looking to see Liverpool at their best, this is exactly what you look like. And best part is, they didn't even allow a goal this time. Didn't even allow a shot on goal this time. Yeah. That's well, that, more, that, I think that Arsenal was even more pathetic yeah. than usual. Yes. Oh man. Um, where do we all start? Do we all start with the Champions League match? Just, a, just, um, a, just a little well, quick. Just, just in, you can. In you can you, I didn't know if you wanted to talk more about that when we actually went to the the Champions League draw and just. Um, so let's let's focus solely on this epic beatdown. Just remember, Arsenal fans, good news. Arsenal just signed that extension. <laughs> um, you know, we get, we've got to kind of decide. We've got to be which side of the English press this week. Are we going to talk about the good of Liverpool, or are we just going to focus on how pitiful Arsenal are? Weird. Um, this is the only match we're really talking about, so let's do both. Yeah, we'll do both. Let's um, let's start with the Liverpool side. Let's start with the positive. Okay. Let's start with the positive, yes. especially to me. West positive Bradshaw. <laughs> um, the story before the match was the somewhat baffling decision by Jurgen Klopp that Simone Mignolet four matches into the season needed a break. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> as I lay, as I as I lay in the fetal position on the floor, thinking, Jesus, God, what's about to happen here? Um, <laughs> Loris Carius came in, and I mean, he didn't do he didn't do bad. Why did not do bad? Well, a he did not face an actual shot on goal no. for Arsenal, uh, who failed to register a shot on goal. <laughs> Uh, also, he he worked. He had two really big punches off of crosses that looked good. That's something Minule kind of struggles with. His distribution was good. You know, he's known as a sweeper keeper, like Manuel Neuer. Uh, he he almost got himself caught a few times holding on to the ball a little long, but I think with time that could that could work out. Uh, Klopp says he's going right back to Minule after the break when they face. <laughs> City. So this was just kind of this weird aberration. I mean, maybe Klopp just looked at it and said, I mean, you know, if I'm going to get him some time in the Premier League, at least let me do it against really bad teams. So he said, well, hey, we're playing Arsenal. It's a perfect opportunity. <laughs> really, <laughs> uh, Arsenal right now just barely fighting over the relegation. So uh, we'll get, we'll get to, don't worry, folks, we're getting to much more Arsenal in a few minutes. Um, going in Liverpool were absolutely, they were an unstoppable force. They came right out. Before getting the first goal, they probably should have already had two. Uh, if not for Petr Cech in that match, Arsenal Arsenal's humiliation may have turned into all-out anarchy in North it's, London. It's funny. You said that, and, like, I, I remember also when we were sharing texts uh, over the weekend, uh, this came up a little bit, too. And there's a lot of times you say that on this podcast. Oh, man, you know, really, really, Sané should have had three. I mean, this this should have been a drop. This, this, if there was ever a time when this was actually true, this would have been that match. This probably should have been 7 nil. I mean, and when you say, oh, well, I mean, literally, Petr Cech was making, made, I believe, three point-blank saves just on Mohamed mm. Salah. Yes. And then he still ended up scoring. <laughs> Before scoring, he had three point-blank shots that Cech just massively reacted on and kept out of a goal. Um, actually, I think I just texted you, Salah should have a hat trick today, and two minutes later, he broke away and scored. Yes. <laughs> so Liverpool were absolutely uh, unplayable on Sunday. Arsenal had no answer in the world for them. That front three right now, and here's the thing, they're doing it without two of their major, I mean, major contributors of last season, and Adam Milano, Phil Coutinho, uh, mm-hmm. Milano out with the injury. Coutinho out with an English injury. Um, apparently, no Brazilian injuries for Coutinho. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't we'll rest. get to that in the, in the news and notes, I'm sure. Um, so, the fat Liverpool are doing that with those guys out who are known as the creative forces of the side. It, it's, it's amazing. And now, I believe, two matches already on the season, two out of their three Premier League matches, that all three of their front of their forwards have scored. Uh, Salah, Mane, Firmino. Mm-hmm. The knock against mm-hmm. Firmino, he doesn't score enough goals. Uh, he's already got a pair. <laughs> uh, Mane has scored three goals in three <laughs> matches. Uh, he uh, Right now, Sadio Mane, Sadio Mane at the moment looks like the best player in the Premier League. I mean, obviously, let's put this uh, – we, we've got a three-match sample, not a 38-match sample. Still 35 to go. But right now, Mohamed Salah – Salah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Sadio Mane right now is drawing comparisons – to uh, Luis Suarez, his final season at Liverpool, where 
he just has this tenacity. He mm-hmm. has this this incredible desire that, hey, I'm going to score. I don't care what you do to me. I'm going to take my team down. We're going to attack, and, I, and I'm going to score on you. And thus far, that's what he's been doing. Jordan Henderson, the much maligned Jordan Henderson. Here's here's the crazy thing about Liverpool fans. Two weeks ago, uh, I think if someone would have offered us a bag of balls, their Liverpool fans would say, you can have all three on Tate Wijnaldum, take Chan, and take Henderson. They suck. And this past weekend, they they played Arsenal like a Stradivarius violin. I mean, just amazing in midfield. Emery Chan, God, Emery Chan over the last few weeks mm-hmm. has looked uh, is is looking like the player that I was fawning over three years ago, thinking he would become. He's finally looks like he's coming into that role. Jordan Henderson's doing a magnificent job dictating the match. Vinaldum is getting out. He's just doing his little Vinaldum things. One of the highlights of the Arsenal match was uh, when he put, I believe, it was, was it Aaron Ramsey? No, it wasn't Ramsey. It was uh, Rob Holding, I believe. Uh, put Rob Holding on his ass twice in the same movement of the ball. Um, and yes. that they're just they're playing so mm-hmm. well right now as a group. Uh, at the back, you know, Joe Gomez comes in at left back at right back. Does a fantastic job. Dejan Lovren didn't fuck anything up this week. Um, Joel Madden is looking more like the guy he looked like last season uh, before he had before the <laughs> Afcon debacle. Um, and my God, what? Who, who kidnapped the real Alberto Moreno and replaced him? <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's just. Right now, over the past few weeks, everything, as, as we joke about our, our, <laughs> our idol, Bill House Van Houten, everything's coming up Liverpool. And, you know, we, we've joked in the past, hey, no, nobody, nobody looks better in summer weather than Liverpool. <laughs> uh, it's obviously going to come down to slogging it out later in the year and in those winter months. But, you know, some things to look at. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about how porous the defense is. In their last nine Premier League matches, Liverpool have seven clean sheets. Going back to last season, um, you know, I think Liverpool proved at the end of last season that when when they didn't have the playmakers, okay. when the games got dirty, they were able to get results, as they did, which got them into that fourth-place slot. Um, I don't know what Jurgen Klopp did to the African Football Federation, but he, he single-handedly, I believe, got AFCON changed to a, to a summer tournament from now on. Uh, due to the fact that something we'll get to later, Liverpool now are the proud owners of the three most expensive African players in history. We'll, we'll get to that a little later. Um, so, you know, you take out that month last season, and this Liverpool team – since Klopp has really taken over, they've been they've been really good. And they showed it against Arsenal. They were sharp. They were crisp, as we said, if not for some point-blank stops by Petr Cech. Um, Liverpool have maybe an all-time scoreline against Arsenal in this match. Um, they controlled the midfield. Arsenal never got to build play. And by the way, at the end of the match, you know, one of our favorite stats we always like to bring up is the, those, those uh, pesky possession numbers. Yeah, I was, I was going to mention that, yeah. that match. Watching that match, did it seem like Liverpool just had the ball the entire time? I mean, it, it just kind of felt that way. It just felt like Liverpool had the ball whenever they wanted it. And at the end of the day, Arsenal had a 51-49 yep. uh, possession lead. So, hey, congratulations, Arsenal. 
you want to possess. And that's it. something I, I'm noticing a little bit with Liverpool this season. Mm-hmm. I noticed it in the um, – I want to say it was the first Champions mm-hmm. League uh, playoff stage match where they had maybe like 40% possession. Uh-huh. This this seems to be a, a Liverpool team that the last couple of years had been very possession-based, uh-huh. you know, part of part of the gag and pressing, and that's uh-huh. what that did. And this year it seems like they're actually doing much more with less possession. You can see it defensively they're playing deeper. <clears throat> um, just some of the little tactical nuances. Mm-hmm. This is some stuff that sort of changed last season. When you look at Mane and Salah, there may not be a faster set of wings in England, if not Europe. And I'll say wings that can do shit and score mm-hmm. and not just run fast. <clears throat> Raheem. But uh, I know that was a dark move. But, um, you know, when you've got those kind of guys and then you've got somebody like Emery Chan or you've got a Roberto Firmino who can press so well from the front um, – and you've got, you know, Jordan Henderson winning the ball back. You want to get those guys. You want them to have space to counterattack. And you've seen some goals the last few weeks from Liverpool. I mean, Salah's had two just massive breakaways where he's just outrun everybody getting on the end. Now, one of them he missed in the mm-hmm. Champions League match. But then he scored the one against Arsenal this week when he took it right off of uh, Barcelona's Hector Bellerin. <laughs> Um, but Liverpool have so much speed on the wings and they have so many distributors in the middle that the line, the defensive line is playing deep and they're leaving that room in the middle of the field and up front because especially someone like an arsenal, like Hoffenheim, you know, we've always said if someone wants to come out and play Liverpool, they're going to have a long night. They're going to be in trouble when Liverpool invites that pressure onto themselves they are so good at nicking the ball away and starting a counterattack that Liverpool have just, they've become more of a counterattacking team. And they use the gag and press. They don't, they don't gag and press like Klopp Dortmund teams did because um, mm-hmm. you as a Spurs fan, as a Liverpool fan, we've seen, especially when you're playing European football and you're playing all the competitions, you can't gag and press for 60 matches a year. You know, no, no one has no, that no. much depth to fully get impressed for 60 matches. You have to choose your spots. Um, you have to do it when it's beneficial to you, when you've got, um, when you're either trying to get momentum back to you or you've got that momentum going. You can do it. You can throw it on there. Liverpool, it looks like here in Klopp's second full season, third total season, it's all coming together and Liverpool are understanding when to press, when to play back, when to just try to nick the ball. And if someone wants to try to play them like Arsenal, like Hoffenheim, like you would figure Man City's going to try to when they come back from the break, if you want to try to get forward on Liverpool, if you give the ball away, you are absolutely a dead man. And I think you're seeing more of that so, therefore, I think mm. Liverpool have finally got to a point where they're like, you know, we don't have to have seven. We don't want to have 70% possession. We want you to come on to us so we can take the ball away from you and go the other way. Um, now, Arsenal, God, for whatever reason, just Arsene Wenger cannot mm. get through his head. I mean, it's it's obvious what Liverpool wants to do, and Wenger just refuses to acknowledge it or try to change anything. Go figure. It's Arsene Wenger. But, um you know, that's that's what you're saying. 
And we've talked about it before. Who gives a shit if you have 80% possession and you can't score or you lose? I don't give a shit how much possession you have at the end of the day. This isn't Brendan Rodgers wanting to play tiki-taka. Right. Uh, this Liverpool team has evolved from small skill guys who were quick but not so much fast. It's evolved from small skill guys to, you know, there's still not a huge team. There's not a lot of six five, you know, 200-pounders on Liverpool squad. But you look at somebody like Mane, you look at somebody like Salah, they're small, they're lightning fast, and those guys are strong as mm-hmm. shit for their size. I mean, you know, if you look at Salah, Salah's built like a little brick shithouse. I mean, that guy, that guy's like a little, he's a, he's a spark plug, man. And they're solid, and they don't mind getting into you. Mm-hmm. They love to press. And basically, this team has become a Jurgen Klopp team. There, there are obviously a few tweaks, but you got to tweak wherever you go. You know, you got to tweak for the moment. You got to tweak for where you are. But that's what we're suddenly seeing from Liverpool: is this team has evolved. They are built in Jurgen Klopp's image at the moment. And we say this at you know 10 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday night. <laughs> uh, they still need a little more. We'll talk a little about the transfers a little later. But they've done one thing. I said they needed to do. <laughs> Um, now let's see if they can pull off the ultimate coup and get that center central defender. Um, but right now, and obviously three games, of, hey, three matches in the season last year, there was no doubt about it. Man City was winning the league and running everybody out. You know, this year Liverpool and uh, United off to the very hot starts in the league. Um, obviously Liverpool with the really eye-catching victory because it's over Arsenal. Yeah. But right now going to the international break, I think uh, I think hands down the two best teams in the league at this point are United and Liverpool, and United might have nine, but I think uh, I think Liverpool just as good right now as United. Yeah, and those are the top two teams, and and that's and really the only thing that's separating them with besides the two points is also be the plus five goal differential that United has been heaping on people. Yeah, but, yeah. But those of two, of course, t- you look at those schedules as well. So. <laughs> Um, And those two teams are at the top, but one now near the bottom is Arsenal. And they are currently, as you mentioned, in 16th place, three points on the season. And that was in, let's not forget, that was in a game against Leicester that really they probably should have lost. This is an Arsenal team that could have one or zero points right now. They lost away to Stoke 1-0, and now they've lost 4-0. So they haven't scored a goal since the winner against Leicester on opening day. Um, I, I found it very interesting. We heard about, you know, Alexander Lacazette uh, from Arsene Wenger needing time to adjust to the Premier League, and that's why he didn't start against Liverpool. Uh, this is the same Alexander Lacazette that scored, I believe, 90 seconds into the Premier League, and then came maybe three millimeters from equalizing against Stoke last week. Um, So I don't really know what more he needs to do to acclimate himself when this guy could easily have, if the linesman was a little worse, two goals already to his name in three Premier League matches. But again, doesn't uh, start instead, comes on as a sub for, in all irony, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who we'll get to that in news and notes, don't you worry, folks, comes on in the final thir- uh, half hour, basically, along with Olivier Giroud. And really, they, they just don't offer anything this 
this Arsenal team. You mentioned Rob Holding. I, I, I think it was Daniel Taylor from The Guardian on Twitter who said Rob Holding looks exactly like what you'd expect right now from a, a $2 million signing yeah. from the championship. Or not $2 million, but you know what I mean. That's 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 what they're having to play. He's a nice player. He's okay. But when you're up against Liverpool, that's, that's not what you need. When you have top four aspirations, which I hope Arsenal still has to an extent – that's not what you need. That's not good enough. You know, we're hearing, you know, one of the guys from last year, Shakhtar and Mustafi, yeah. they're trying to get him shipped off to, I believe it's Inter uh, in the transfer window. Uh, Granite Xhaka hasn't looked really good. Uh, and then um, Klasniak, their, their other big guy who scored in the, uh, the Community Shield, didn't start, didn't feature at all. Um, I, I don't understand what's going on with Arsenal. I don't think a lot of people understand what's going on with Arsenal. Um, I don't know if I sent to you, but there was a, a great article, you know, with the whole Alexis Sanchez, you know, again, showing up in a match, you know, coming on, uh, coming off for Giroud and laughing on the sidelines as the fourth goal went in for Liverpool. You know, uh, this, this gentleman from the Guardian wrote an op-ed today that, you know, the it came out that Arsenal players want Alexis Sanchez to go. They're tired of his antics and they're tired of, 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 of what he's done to the team. And the op-ed general point was they're tired of him because he wants to hold them accountable to be more than mediocre. Sorry. And I never really thought of that because, you know, I we, we've seen Alexis Sanchez act like a little punk bitch. But when you really stop and think about why he's doing it, and we've talked about guys like your your favorite, Mesodosal, <gasps> Um, who's apparently now also, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, he's also Steven Gerrard's favorite. Um, and guys like that, that's, that's the Arsenal way now almost is this, oh, you know, if we get fourth, that'll be great. And if not, well, we'll win the FA Cup and that's something. So I just, Arsenal right now doesn't, they either don't have an identity or their identity is mediocrity. And I'm not sure which of those two would be worse. Uh, um, start on Alexis Sanchez. Alexis Sanchez right now is the only Arsenal veteran who is mm-hmm. showing a desire to try to go out and be great. The here's here's the problem, and here's here's one of the things that just absolutely boggles <laughs> the mind. You're playing Liverpool. You know Liverpool's one of the most, you know, the best attacking teams in the country. You know Liverpool play with a lot of fire, a lot of passion, because that's the Klopp way. You need somehow to try to match that passion. Those guys are out there killing themselves in that red shirt. So what do you do? You start. Alexis Sanchez, Mesut Ozil, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, all guys who are openly pining to leave Arsenal. Guys who are like, I don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. I don't want to play for Arsenal. (laughs) Well, you are going to, and you're going to play the best team in the country at the moment. And you will go there and give me effort. Why the fuck am I giving you effort, Arson? You know, and uh, to me, uh, Sanchez, Alexis Sanchez could not get the ball anywhere near where he needed the ball. Um, that That was the pressing Oxlade-Chamberlain, we'll talk about that a little later. I don't know why that Arsene Menger insists on playing him in a position he doesn't want to play. 
But that's hey, that's not his problem anymore. So that's why we'll talk. That's a crazy transfer because of that. And then you've got Mesut Ozil, who I think Mesut Ozil would like to leave. But he's not really pushing for a lead because I don't think he gives a shit. He's like, well, if I stay, I'll just make a shit ton of money. So don't forget, Ozil and Sanchez are on massive wages. And you can't, you cannot count on them for a, a full effort mm-hmm. because they want out. You know, you've got hungry guys that you brought in, like you said, Lacazette, Kalasnich, uh, you, you know, um, uh, oh, big head, French Giroud. Giroud is like ripping his skin off wanting to start matches. Mm-hmm. And yet you put out guys out there who may not be 100% invested in what's going on. I mean, that's ridiculous. That is, I mean, that is absolute insanity. You've got Scott Mustafi, who's probably the best central defender on your team, and you just don't play him. And you want to get rid of him. You're trying to loan him out. And you want to get rid of him. I mean, here's the thing. Arsene Wenger, last year near the end of the season, Arsene Wenger was under pressure. He was under pressure because they were slipping out of the top four. They were scared to death. So they put the pedal to the metal and went and won the FA Cup. They did it because they were under pressure. Wenger is much like a goalkeeper. If he has no one nipping at his heels, he relaxes on his laurels and sits back and is like, well, I'm bulletproof, so you can't do it. What are you going to do? Fire me? As soon as they gave Arsene Wenger the two-year extension, he, in his mind right away, well... (laughs) I'll do whatever I want because I've got two more years. Right now, Arsene Wenger, with his two-year extension, is completely rotting Arsenal from the inside. I, I have never seen more of a case where it is, I mean, you know, usually I, I'm not one to blame the manager all the time. I mean, I think I went too long with Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> I think I was guilty of too long for <laughs> Brendan Rodgers. Arsene Wenger, he's not the entire problem, don't get me wrong, but there's one constant in Arsenal's decline. The one constant is the guy in charge. Um, And just to hit it home on Arsene Wenger, I saw uh, there, there was a... You know, somebody had posted it, of course, on Facebook today. And, you know, you get the Arsenal fans. And one Arsenal fan said, hey, Liverpool, thanks <laughs> for the 40 million pounds you've given us for this piece of crap, Alex Osley Chamberlain. And I made the comment on there. I'm like, yeah, I said, so So now you've got 40 pounds burning a hole in your pocket. You know, you obviously have needs. Get ready to welcome your 16-year-old Somalian winger who Wenger is just telling you he's going to be the greatest thing in five years. <laughs> That costs you like 1.5 million pounds. I mean, Arsenal, first of all, Wenger cried for years that he couldn't spend money because they were having to pay off the stadium. Okay. Legit. Legit. <laughs> we can understand that, even though you're Arsenal and you make a shit ton of money. Okay. Stadium's been paid off. What's the excuse now? Yep. Well, we, we made some big signings. But who did you sign? I mean, you signed Mesut Ozil, who basically they were ready to give away at Real Madrid because he wouldn't play defense. It's it's not like he's come and suddenly lost interest in playing defense. He never had it. Okay, 
that's a that's a luxury signing. That's not bad. You know, you still say, well, Arsenal had the attack. But, you know, you look at the guys that they brought in. You know, last year we were praising them for finally bringing in Granite Xhaka, for bringing in Scott Dribble-Staffy. Hey, you finally got some grit at the back. Well, apparently a lot of other teams around Europe who didn't go in for Granite Xhaka, even though he was a fantastic player, I think we figured it out because he's batshit insane. I mean, this guy, is, he is a walking red guard. <laughs> um, Shkadra Mustafi, now suddenly you, know, you, just, you just don't want to play him anymore. I, I don't understand it. But, you know, it's like Wenger wants to take a Rob Holding, and Wenger wants to prove to you at the end of the day that he's just damn smarter than you are. You know, I'm going to take this player, and I'm going to go, well, you know what? It's not bad to have a player or two like that. Hill Klopp does it. Those are guys that you do build with. But damn, when you have a need and you're trying to do something, go out and get a player that will help you. And you know what? We, we talked in the past, Liverpool fans obviously live it every damn year when they don't spend 700 million pounds in the damn transfer market. Oh, God, FSG don't give a shit. Oh, God, what are we doing? What are we doing? Well, you know what? This summer, Liverpool realized, hey, we need to strengthen – and coming down here to the wire, you know, Liverpool are making moves. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens to that. Arsenal aren't going to bring anybody else in. They've sold Oxlade-Chamberlain. He's gone. 40 million pounds in the bank. They're not going to do anything with it. They, Alexis Sanchez, in the next 12 hours, may get sold. They're not going to do anything with it. I mean, that's the thing. They're not going to do anything with it at the end of the day. I don't believe. Now, that doesn't mean they won't bring somebody in. But if they do, it's going to be some crazy panic buy who, after mm-hmm. two months, Finger's going to realize doesn't fit my system or just isn't nearly as good as what we paid for him. And, and that guy will be on the block next summer. And it'll be Finger making excuses about the players not performing. And then next summer will be the same thing. Arsenal right now. You know, why, why would anyone right now, why would any big-time player want to go to Arsenal? I don't, know. I don't have an answer. I mean, you have basically a lame-duck coach who everyone looks at and says he doesn't want to spend money. He has no ambition. You know, the best players are all trying to lead the club. I saw one tweet today that said, uh, said what, do you, what do you think Alexander Lacazette thinks when he wakes up in the morning and realizes the dumpster fire that he signed up for? That, that to me, is the most uh, bizarre one. And I remember saying this when, when they signed him. Like, if you're Lacazette, what, what were you actually thinking? Like, why, why would you come here? Like, I just, I, I, it boggles my mind still. I, th- I truly believe Lacazette, the way, the way I think it happened, Lacazette, for the last few summers, has been this big, sexy name that uh, I think it was Leon. Mm-hmm. That's right. He really, Leon was like, we're not selling. We're not selling. And he would always kind of push, oh, I want to go. No, we're keeping you for another year. Okay, I'll stay another year. Well, this summer, it had finally come out. Okay, you know, we're willing to let him go. Well, then suddenly there was not the bidding war for Lacazette that everyone thought there was going to be. You know, Liverpool mm-hmm. were massively pushed with Lacazette over the last few years. Well, this season came around, and you know, I mean, Liverpool put out feelers on him, but when it came time to start throwing the money down, Liverpool's like, mm, not interested, not really interested. Mm-hmm. Arsenal basically ended up bidding against themselves because Arsenal saw, oh, here's a here's a here's a goal scorer. He's French. 
oh my god, it's it's perfect, it's perfect. <laughs> um, and I think, now I mean, hell, for all I know, Lacazette may have been completely sold on everything Arsenal said and wanted to play for Arsenal worse than anything ever. I think at the end of the day, Lacazette kind of got stuck where it was, well, you want to go to the Premier League, here's a Premier League team who wants you. No one else is after you. you know, yeah. I, th- I really believe they were thinking Chelsea will come in, United will come in, Liverpool will come in, uh, City will come in, somebody big is going to come in, you know, maybe one of the German teams, somebody, and we'll get a bidding more and we'll get 60, 70 million pounds for him. But then it was just Arsenal. So I think he was kind of like, well, this is my way to the Premier League. I'll go play for, hey, I'll go play for Arsenal. Sure, Arsenal's fine. Well, then he gets to Arsenal and suddenly all the good players at Arsenal want to leave. <laughs> And he's just kind of like, oh, shit, what have I got myself into? <laughs> you know, and then you get there and suddenly, you know, when, when he came in, obviously the fans were stoked. Hell, the fans are still excited about Alexander Lacazette. Mm. It's yeah. not even, he's not done. He's uh, done well. Yeah, he's done well. But now I think he's getting in there and, I mean, there's no way that he can't see all this negativity going on around everything. And I think it's got to be a little frustrating, like, damn it, I finally got my big move. And it's like I picked the wrong horse because I picked the horse that is right now by far number six out of six teams. And the way they're going and the way this team might look at the end of the transfer window, I'm not even going to guarantee we're fishing six at this point. Um, So I think he just ended up in a tough spot. But, I mean, I fully expect Arsenal to sign someone, and it's going to be underwhelming, and Vigor's going to try to sell like it's the greatest signing ever. And the fans are just going to be like, you've got to be kidding me. This is what we got to look forward to this year. This season could be absolutely toxic for Arsenal. Um, mm-hmm. But they're not going to do anything about it. They're not going to fire Arsene Wenger. I don't think anyone, I think other than other than maybe Klopp at this point, I don't think anyone has, maybe Klopp and Potch, I don't think anybody has the uh, job security that Wenger has. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's insane because here's Klopp and Potch. Well, hell, they should have it. They built teams from that you know don't have all the resources of the big teams, and they built title contenders. If it wasn't for Wembley, but uh, um, they built they've built title <laughs> contenders, and they're coaches who are in their prime. And this is Wenger, who's ten years past his prime, and is sinking a legendary club before our eyes. Um. But Arsenal, the three at the back is not working for them because they don't have the personnel three at the back. For some reason, you know, they go out and they get collapsed and they choose a really good, you know, back, and they don't play in the back. Okay, you've got the wing backs. Why are you playing Oxley Chamberlain as a fucking wing back? I mean, it's just uh, Hector Bellerin. Hector Bellerin is not built to be a wing back. He is a full back. They're playing guys out of position because they had some good runs. They mm. had a few good runs with this three in the back at the end of the season. And, and suddenly now he's got guys playing out of position. Uh, he's got defensive liabilities for whatever reason. He keeps putting Aaron Ramsey in the, uh, as a defensive midfielder. He thinks that's a good idea. It's not. It's not. Well, it keeps him from scoring, which is yeah, good. Yeah, keep him for scoring for all the celebrities out there. Um, but right now, Arsenal's Arsenal have personnel issues. As I said, Osley Chamberlain's out. Let's see who's left at the end of this window. 
I do I think it's a completely untenable position for them to keep Alexis Sanchez. On top of that, don't mm-hmm. forget, Sanchez's contract runs out at the end of the year. If in 24 hours, if Alexis Sanchez is still on their on their uh, squad and their roster, I will mm-hmm. bet everything I have that in January he will be signing a pre-contract somewhere. I believe Ozil's contract mm-hmm. is out next season. Uh, they're not going to resign. You know, you did a good job with Oxley. You got 40 million pounds for Oxley Chamberlain. Oxley Chamberlain ain't worth 40 million pounds. He might be in this market, but we know this market's screwy. So, okay, you cash in on him. Mm-hmm. They need to move these players. They need to move Sanchez. They need to move Ozil because. Because A, those guys don't want to play for Arsenal, and B, you're just going to lose them for nothing. But it comes back to the problem that no matter what you sell them for, you're not going to bring anything else in. You're not going to get anything near them. So it's a it's this mm-hmm. massive catch-22 right now for Arsenal where if you sell these guys, you've done good business, but you're screwed. If you don't sell these guys, you've done bad business, and you're screwed. Either way, it ends with Arsenal being screwed. Yeah, you know, I think we had them at six this year. I think we both had them high. Yeah, you might probably. have them lower than that. I can't remember. I, think I, I, had, I had them at seven. I had them at seven. Yeah, but seven. I think we both might have had them high. I mean, this this looks like an Arsenal team that could completely implode in two months. Two months, hell, two weeks. And well, you know, Liverpool obviously, obviously, when it comes to the transfer market right now, Liverpool have their iron in the fire. Chelsea still have their iron in the fire. You know. Um, those are kind of the two big ones looking to bring in guys that we're talking about. But mm-hmm. Arsenal are the most fascinating because they need to get rid of guys or or they're basically giving them away in January. Well, and we'll end our, 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 ta- our match talk with this. If, and this maybe should be a news and notes, but I'll ask anyway. If, okay. as you mentioned, we have about 18 hours now, 18 and a half hours left in the transfer mark, period. If if they don't get rid of Alexis Sanchez and he does stay for the rest of the season, and yes, you're right, he and Ozil's contracts do expire at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. What what does Sanchez do? How does how does that in what already looks like a somewhat toxic culture in that locker room? How does that get better if he stays? That's the thing. I don't think the locker room culture does get better because then you've got a locker room full of guys knowing that their best player is leaving at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And also knowing, as you pointed out earlier, that there's already rumblings in the locker room because he, quote, holds them accountable. Oh, means, mm-hmm. my God, this is a team full of millennials. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, so already he's an abrasive personality that everybody's already kind of over anyway. And then he's going to be leaving. So you know, you know, even if he might not show it immediately, you know in the back of your head you've got this thought, well, he's not giving his best because he didn't give a shit. He's out of here next year. You know, hey, why would Alexis Sanchez mm-hmm. give a shit if Arsenal are in the Champions League next year? I mean, hell, if anything, it might be his little giggle on the way out the door. <laughs> Enjoy not even making Europa, assholes. <laughs> you know, and while I don't believe Alexis Sanchez would do that, that thought's always going to be in the back of your head. 
as a fan, you know, every time he misses a shot that you think he should have hit, that you think he should have scored, oh, he's sandbagging it. Fuck this guy. Oh, I'm so over him. You know, he won't sign a contract extension. Screw this guy. It is it is going to do nothing but continue to poison the water, to poison this entire squad if if Alexis Sanchez stays. But the problem is if he leaves, it's a gaping mm-hmm. void that he leaves. So I mean there's that's the thing, there's no good yeah. answer for Arsenal. They've left it too late. They have no chance to replace these guys now. Like I said, they might make a panic signing and bring somebody in, but they're not going to bring in anyone of true quality who's going to be able to replace anything that Alexis Sanchez does. And it is, if I'm an Arsenal fan, I am so Mm -hmm. pissed, not just the loss of Liverpool, but how this whole window has been done. You know, you started off so well getting Lacazette, and right then the sky was the limit. You could have done so many things as Arsenal, and all they did was shit the bed time after time. This might be the worst transfer window Arsenal has ever had. And if those guys get sold off and they're gone, or if they stay, either way, it's a terrible situation. This is going down as their worst transfer window ever, and it could absolutely implode their season. They will be begging to finish fifth or sixth this year, and it may not happen. It's 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 an astounding fall from one of, if not the the best teams in the league, one of the most consistent teams. And we joke about it, but this was as important as it has become yep. a perennial Champions League team. And and now they are again three thirty eighths through the season in danger of of missing out on the Champions League for a second straight season. And maybe Everton maybe is a little better. Maybe they don't make it. Maybe they don't make Europe yep. at all. So it's it's going to be tough. Um, we're going about to speak about that Champions League in just a minute. Uh, this did just come across the radar. Uh, it does look like we're gonna we're gonna of course get to transfer talk later. Uh, Riyad Mahrez has been released from Algeria, uh, where he's doing his international duty to formalize his transfer to a new club. We don't know what new club that is. We don't even know how true this is. But might be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see, and there will be one. Uh, I will throw something in real quick. Um, I had actually heard him uh, connected with um, with uh, Barcelona if mm-hmm. if they were unable to bring in Coutinho because yeah, he's not as good, but he'll cost about a hundred million less. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> not bad for 100 million less um yeah. but well, let's get back to your weekend fixtures uh uh well no we're not going to do that because uh we international break tricked you uh so instead quick look at the table um as we said manchester united still perfect at nine points on seven points are liverpool huddersfield town up the up the wagners manchester city and west brom chelsea is at six points watford and southampton are at five Tottenham, Burnley, Stoke, Everton, and Swansea are at four. Uh, Newcastle, Leicester, and Arsenal are at three. Uh, Brighton and Hove are at one point. They have their first point in the Premier League. And Bournemouth, Palace, and West Ham still at zero points. Um, We may have just totally cursed uh, Frank DeBoer forever. He might be getting sacked from Palace in like a week or two. So, Oh, God. 
Um, a team. There's like there's like a race to get uh, fired in this league. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And the one who won't is Arsene Wenger. Um, so yeah. let's talk about the Champions League draw that took place um, over this uh, past week, uh, this past Thursday, bright and early. Uh, the Champions League draw took place, and so now now we have it. The pots have been sewn. Groups of deaths have been assigned, and so let's go real quick through them uh, and maybe give some real quick predictions about how we think they're going to go. Uh, group A is the uh, the Manchester United Invitational, as it will be Manchester United, Basel, Benfica, and CSKA Moscow. Um, That's Basel, by the way. Of, no. cor- of course it is. Um, just like it's Celtic. Um, Manchester United... Um, you have to assume is going to win this group West. I, I just, I don't see anybody really troubling them, especially the way they're playing right now. Um, so now it's going to be a race for second. And I think Benfica would have the inside track for that, but this Moscow could, could pose some issues for them. Uh, Moscow's a sucky trip. Um, yeah. if you want to look at it, actually, they're, they're talking about some issues maybe going down on their trip because, uh, the day before, obviously, we'll get into that group, but the day before, Liverpool traveled to Spartak, and then the next day, United come to Cusco. Oh. And, um, you know, obviously, we have some issues with Russian hooliganism, and they like to prove to the English how hooligan they can be. So, something to keep an eye on that. That'll kind of be a little backdrop. I think those matches happen in September, so I think that's like match day two. <laughs> I believe when all that will go down. So, but also if that's the fat match day two, you know, the worst thing about playing in Russia is the Russian winter. You know, if it's, if it is match day two, indeed, then Liverpool and United uh, looks like they get to skip the, Oh, look, it's four degrees in Russia today (laughs) because we play in mid September. So um, I don't think United will have too big an issue with anyone. Uh, Benfica in Portugal might give them some issues. Mm -hmm. I think United are coming out of this. I think Benfica is going to be in there too. I'll say United win Benfica too. Um, and you are correct. The United does travel to Moscow on September 27th. That is match week yeah, two. Yeah. So a little, yeah. little less cold than it could be otherwise. Yes, um, could be worse. Now, I know, I know some people have called Group H the group of death. Um, I think Group B might actually be the group of death because oh, yeah. this is the only group – in the in the Champions League group stage, that has two teams that could actually win the Champions League, and that is Paris Saint Germain and Bayern Munich, um, and the other two teams. Thanks for playing. We'll see you again next year, maybe. Anderlecht and the great character that is Celtic. Um, I I I I I want to say. Celtic and PSG finish top two, so Bayern can finish third and go to Europa and knock out Arsenal again. But I, I don't, I, I don't see, I don't see a realistic scenario where it's anything but PSG and Bayern up top. And and again, I think those are two of the three teams that I think have the best shot right now. The thirty-two remaining to win this whole thing. Well, I think the only way uh, PSG stumbles at all in this is if um, Neymar and the Brazilian contingent somehow get stuck in Brazil and can't get back for a few months after the, <laughs> after the um, international break here. Uh, no, PSG, they have been just lights out deadly since the season started. 
you know, to me, a guy like Neymar, Neymar is one of those special players where there's no real betting in period for him. He's just going to come in and score goals Mm -hmm. and put it through assists. You know, he's, it's, it's like a Ronaldo somewhere, you know, he, he's just, he's going to walk in. He's going to be fine. He won't have any issues. He's going to fire them above. It's going to be some really interesting matches between PSG and Bayern. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I've really wondered the last few years really how good Bayern are. And I say that because, yes, obviously you're, you're more than good enough to win the Bundesliga. We know that. But it seems like when they get to the really mm-hmm. tough part of Europe, they they have seemed to somewhat wilt. Um, so that's something to just keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think PSG, PSG are the real dark horse to win the Champions League this year for the simple fact that I think they have, they've gotten something this year that they've never had before, and that's even with Zlatan there. They have a true team-wide swagger now. I know we don't like that word that much. Well, I do. I'm a Miami fan. We invented swagger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know now, I th- and we've we've got to see it when they play Bayern. We'll see it then if it's real. But one thing that's happened in the past is PSG have always kind yeah. of known. Oh, okay, this is our level where we can't get above this team. You know, oh, Chelsea. Uh, okay, or you know, oh Barcelona. <laughs> shit. I think this year with Neymar, with some of the additions they've made. I think this is a team that when they walk on the field now, they're going to be saying, all right, we'll give a shit who we're playing. We're, we're better than you. We feel we're better than you. And for the first time, they might be very close mm-hmm. to being that. It might be close to being true. Um, I think PSG are the true, and I know they're like number five to win it, so it's not really a dark horse. But when it's a team who's never won it before and who's making that run mm-hmm. and has to get over these hurdles – I think that makes them kind of the ultimate dark horse this year is uh, PSG. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them win the group. I'm I'm not totally sold on Bayern at this point. I mean, I know they're obviously they're really good, but I don't know if they quite have that up level anymore that they had about three years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, we will see. Uh, They also play match week two. That will be in Paris. Um, when PSG takes on Bayern, and we'll see kind of the relative strengths of both of these teams, mm-hmm. and they'll meet again in December at the Allianz. Um, group C. This is this is a bit of an interesting group, but I think I think this is another one with uh, two clear favorites in it: uh, Atletico, Chelsea, Carabag, and Roma. Uh, Chelsea have shaken sh- off uh, some of their first week jitters for defending their title. Uh, they've come back strong. Atletico also looking pretty good to start the season. And then obviously Karabag, no offense, um, but not a team from uh, Azerbaijan that's going to strike fear in their hearts. And then Roma is good, but probably third best right now, unless unless Chelsea actually does implode somehow. I, I think I think that's that's how this group goes. I think I think they're again a clear one and two in this group. But Roma Roma maybe has an outside shot. Um, yeah, I think Roma, it's an outside chance to get through. I think Chelsea Atletico, definitely the top two there. I'm going to tell you, I think Europe is the one place that Chelsea could really miss Diego Costa. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, obviously the European weeks, but two, Costa's that kind of guy who the bigger the game, 
the more Diego Costa makes himself known and steps up and does big things. That's why I was I was kind of surprised this year that he had his little meltdown over the summer, knowing they were back in the Champions League. Yeah, yeah, I could understand. I, I would just feel, you know, what? Like, give it one year in the Champions League because I think I think with him and Morata, you know, one starting on the weekend, one starting during the Champions League week, I think that could have been really deadly for him. I'm just I'm not sold on their second striking option. I don't think they are either. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I really think that's where they're going to miss Costa in the long run. I don't think Chelsea have the I don't think Chelsea has it to go deep into the Champions League this year. I think they'll definitely get out of their group, but I don't think they're a deep. I don't think they're a semifinal level player this year. Um, and two, then if injuries catch up to them, you know, as we talked about, they played better the last two weeks, obviously, but that hasn't changed the depth of this Chelsea squad. They still don't have much. So you know, yeah, they're playing good at the beginning of the season when they're playing one match a week. So. And we'll see what happens with Chelsea. I'm not totally sold on Chelsea yet. Now, once again, in 24 hours, that could change some. But it, as of this uh, recording, we'll see. <laughs> uh, and Atletico, the, Atletico are fine. They're they're, they're so depth. good defensively, but I, I think they they just continue to get a little weaker each year, especially without the, with the transfer ban this year. Um, I don't think I don't think Atletico's got a deep run in them this year either. Well, uh, two teams that might happen to have a group, uh, or sorry, a big run in them this year, going to Group D. Um, last year's runner-up, Juventus, uh, in a group with Barcelona, Olympiacos, and Sporting. Um, not a bad group. Pretty interesting. And um, if you don't expect a team like Barcelona still with Lionel Messi, still with Luis Suarez and, and who knows what else they end up adding besides Osman Dembele and uh, Polino, who apparently can't do keepy uppies with the media watching. Yeah, neither can Dembele, apparently. So. Yeah, they're, they're great at it. Um, you don't see Barcelona and Juventus not making it out of this group. Um, who knows? Maybe Barcelona just has an implosion this year in some weird way. But I, I think I don't think the rest of the group is strong enough to really take advantage of that. That sort of weakness. I actually think Juventus will win this group. Um, they're a little bit weaker with uh, Leonardo Bonucci leaving the club this summer. Um, but I, I, I think this is Juventus' group to win. Barcelona second, and then Sporting and uh, Olympiacos will fight it out for third. I think if there was maybe a tougher third pot team that uh, Barcelona would really, really be nervous. I mean, I think if there was maybe a, uh, a Roma or a Napoli or Tottenham or Liverpool, they could have really given Barcelona a run to not make it out of the group. I'll tell you, Liverpool fans, we were begging for Barcelona, <laughs> especially with everything going on outside. We were begging, please put us in Barcelona's group. That'd be magnificent. Uh, that because we've owned Barcelona for years in European play. But um, I don't think Olympiacos or Sporting have quite enough to get it done to not Barca out. Juventus scary to think Juventus are far and away the massive favorite in this group right now. Uh, Barcelona, they brought in Dembele. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. Once again, 18 hours could change a few things for Barcelona. But to me right now, I think Barcelona are so disjointed. Um, they're kind of like a much yeah. better version of Arsenal at the moment where 
they're, they might try and make a panic buy tomorrow. Yeah. But I'm not sold that that panic buy is going to be something massive mm-hmm. that's going to put them over the top. You know, we'll put it that way. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. as far as Juventus, Juventus are fine. They have lost some guys. They're not, they're not quite as strong in the back. But still, they're Juventus, and you've got to think they're gonna they're gonna work mm-hmm. into um, getting that defense where it needs to be. Uh, it's not a brutal group stage. If both those teams don't go through, it'll be a shock. If Juventus don't go through, it might make somebody drop dead. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think both those are gonna be fine going through. Um, that said, I do <laughs> not I do not think Barcelona has a deep run in them this year. <laughs> And Juventus, I think, are a little more uh, exposed mm-hmm. than they've been in the past few years. Yeah, it's it's. I, I don't think either one of them has deep runs in them, just like you said. Um, Group E. This is an interesting one because you have Marlboro and Spartak Moscow. It's okay. That's that's fine. But starting it off match week one, September 13th at Anfield, it's Liverpool versus C- uh, Sevilla. We're bringing Europa to the Champions League, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is this is going to be a great match. I think these two top the group, and I think that that first match is going to go a long way to seeing who ends up in that one slot. And I tell you what, I think Liverpool can win this group. Uh, I'm not being a homer. I definitely think they can, especially the way they've been playing recently. Um, if you look just at Sevilla-Liverpool in that match week one, yeah, it's a rematch of the Europa Finals. But outside of the Liverpool team, not much is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Sevilla has sold off players since then. They have a different manager since then. Uh, that, it is not the same Sevilla team that won three straight Europa Leagues. Um, so, mm-hmm. and two, I think right now, Liverpool and Anfield, if they're healthy and they're firing, I mean, that's going to be a few days after Manchester City which you feel is going to be an up-and-down open match. You got you know, Liverpool should be flying high going into that match. I think they can get a quick win at the top of the table and at least take the lead. The, the wild card here is still Spartak. I think we just – I think everyone would just kind of look, oh, well, Sabina okay. Liverpool. Spartak, good, good look. And this is a Spartak team that went into the knockout stage last year with a perfect record. You know, we were we we I know we kind of gloss over it because they didn't have a very tough group last year, but I mean they took maximum points from their group, and I believe they got to the quarterfinals. If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, I believe they got to the quarterfinals. But anyway, Liverpool aren't catching a break that. by going to Russia in September instead of October or November, uh, so that could that that should be big for them. But, I mean, those other teams still have to go to Russia, and they're going to be doing it later in the season. Um, and not only is it cold, but it's just Moscow's just a tough place to play. It's never pleasant to go play there. Um, and I still think Sevilla and Liverpool are going to top the table. I think Liverpool won Sevilla too. Um, if someone's going to make a surprise out of this group, though, it's going to be Spartak and... Uh, but that said, I think Liverpool, for for what Liverpool could have faced being in pot three, I think Liverpool got about as positive a draw as they possibly could. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think Spartak is one of the, out of pot one are definitely one of the weaker pot one teams. 
And uh, as I say, even though Sevilla and Pot 2, I mean, if you take a look at those other Pot 2 teams, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it could have been PSG, Atletico, Barcelona, uh, Porto, or Dortmund. I mean, out of that group, I think if you pull Sevilla, you're like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> so, and then Maribor, just got to be careful with Maribor, um, just because it is a tough trip going to Slovenia. Um and you don't want to just slip up and drop two points there or something. Yeah. Um, Spartak didn't play in the Champions League last year. Who, oh, who am I thinking of that? Um, there was a Russian team that was undefeated in the group stages. I don't know. I thought it was Spartak. I don't know. Yeah. I think the only Moscow team was Russia or was CSKA, and they didn't. They didn't advance. Huh. Yeah, I may have been having a stroke. Who knows? But uh, it's I, I could have sworn. But anyway, okay, well, not that. Okay, fans are continuing having a stroke. So don't worry about Ooh. it. Um, no, going on. Folks, that's why, that's why we're the best uh, podcast in the ball. <laughs> Quickly moving on to Group F for fuck. Uh, Napoli, Feyenoord, uh, Manchester City, and Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, besides the fact that they have to go to the uh, the Eastern Bloc of Europe, which we do love, but is somewhat war torn, especially in the Ukraine, um, this this seems like almost an absurdly easy group for City. Um, they 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 should win it. Uh, I think I think it could be interesting the race for second because I think the rest of these teams are actually pretty even. I think Napoli is the best of them, but I think Feyenoord had a pretty good run last year, and and Shakhtar has been good in Europe before. So I think yeah. City should be the clear favorites here. But after that, second is a little murky. I would I would pick Napoli, but it wouldn't shock me to see either of the other two take it. Um, I mean, I agree with that. Uh... The only thing is, and, you know, maybe it'll change some under Pep Guardiola, but this is Manchester City we're talking about in Europe. <laughs> not exactly the uh, not exactly the rock-solid <laughs> kind of club that you may think of. Um, I do think, especially with Pep, I said last year, I thought Pep would really help them in Europe, and he did last year. You know, they, they, had a, they had a solid run in Europe. Um, I think they've improved themselves, um, you know, especially at the fullback position. They've improved. There's still a chance that City will make a move before the deadline. Uh, they definitely got the attacking prowess up front. So as long, I feel as long as City, as long as City can stay out of their own way. I think they should be fine, especially mm-hmm. in the qualifying rounds or the group stage. They should be no problems, minimal minimal problems getting through. <sighs> Napoli, mm-hmm. Napoli looked good in their playoff against Nice. Napoli sometimes they deceive mm-hmm. the eye a bit. You know, they can play some really attractive football, but they kind of have a – they kind of have a history of shitting the bed themselves. <laughs> um, Shakhtar, <laughs> Shakhtar seems like probably the weakest of the pot one. Well, them and um, you know, maybe the Moscow team, but still, it's never an easy place to go to Shakhtar. It's not a trip anyone looks forward to. 
And then Feyenoord, Feyenoord had that great run last year. I just, I don't know if they can carry that magic over into this season. But like you said, it should be City all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it could be a battle for second place. Though. I think Napoli's your easy choice, but I see Shakhtar giving Napoli a run for second. Absolutely. Like that, that's going to be a fun group to watch and see. Maybe, you know, even if they can, somebody can take some points off City, that'd be big for uh, trying to finish second in that group. Yeah, seriously. Um, now, Group G is a group that, like, I, I don't even know what to make of this. We have Besiktas. Leipzig, Monaco, who might be selling their best player. We still haven't had that officially confirmed yet, I think. They And Porto, out of Portugal. I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Wes. I don't know how to pick this group. I'd probably pick Porto and Monaco right now. But, I mean, maybe it's Porto and Leipzig. I, I, I don't, and Besiktas is good. Like, I, I don't know. Here's the thing, Ian. If any of the number four seeds out of pot four have a chance to advance, it is far and away Leipzig. This is a team that finished second in the Bundesliga. The reason they're in pot four is because uh, basically last year was their first year ever playing top flight football. They have no, mm-hmm. you know, they have no uh, background of which to build their uh, their UEFA coefficient points. So yeah, they're in pot four. Mm-hmm. This is a team that they came the closest to pushing Bayern in the Bundesliga season ago. They resisted selling any of their best players in the offseason, but not for 2018, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But that mm-hmm. was a huge thing in the Nabi Kaita deal was, hey, we're not selling him this year. We want to go and make, a, and make some noise in the Champions League, and we've got to have our best players. I think Leipzig, Leipzig, may be the favorite when it's said and done. To me, I think they're the favorite to win this group. Um, now, obviously, we have to see how they okay. how they react in Europe, but this is a Monaco team. Now, Monaco's mm-hmm. still going to be tough. Uh, Monaco, right at the moment, at the moment, they still have both uh, Kylian Mbappe and Thomas Lamar on the books. But this time tomorrow, there's a very good chance you're not going to see Mbappe there. It seems like something's already. It seems like a deal has already been struck for Mbappe. And if Liverpool have their way, Thomas mm-hmm. Lamar is going to be coming to Anfield, and that would be two really big, big misses for mm-hmm. them. Uh, they have made a signing this week. Uh, Nabi Baldi, Baldi Kita, uh, the man from uh, Lazio, who a lot of teams were in on. He's going to Monaco. Mm-hmm. Monaco has just lost so much. Now, we've talked about in the past, this is a team that's really good at building players for the future. They have lost a lot. This is not the team that won League One last year and got them into this spot. Monaco could, they could be a flameout team, or they could still be good. I just, I think Leipzig is your, I think they're your favorite. Yeah, they just don't have that European pedigree of everyone else. Yeah, and uh, so that that's going to be fascinating. I think this entire group is fascinating. I think really any of these two teams could advance. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's crazy to me. Um, now, lastly, Group H, uh, it's Real Madrid and then two teams and then APOE on Nicosia. Um, 
Real, Borussia Dortmund. That's Dor- a point for second. Yeah, Borussia Dortmund and Tottenham look like they're going to be the ones to be battling for second. Um, Dortmund, of course, just uh, got rid of Osman Dembele today, or a couple days ago, to send him to Barcelona. We'll see what they bring in to try and replace that with the, with the money. Uh, they already brought in uh, Yarmolenko from um, yes, Kiev. That's right. Yes. Um, yes. We'll see if, what else they uh, add. Um so basically, it's going to come down to Real Madrid's going to win the group. Nicosia might get a point somewhere, and then it's it's down to Dortmund and Tottenham to see who can finish second. Um, I, I I kind of like Tottenham's chances. I, I I think if they can if they can figure out Wembley, I I think they'll finish second in this group. I actually think right now they're they are a little better than Dortmund right now. Uh, but this is going to be incredibly close, and and it might come down to the uh, to the uh, match week five when Tottenham has to go to the uh, the Westfall Stadium. My only issue with Tottenham is this whole Wembley mm-hmm. thing, and I don't think that I don't think it's physically that Tottenham can't do it at Wembley. And after what's going down mm-hmm. recently with them, I almost wonder if it's just if it's going to become a mental thing for Tottenham. And I don't, you know, this could mm-hmm. this could affect their chances to win the Premier League. This could affect their chances to get out of this Champions League group. It, it is. It just seems like it is so difficult right now for them to figure it out, mm-hmm. and. Unfortunately, someone like Dortmund, obviously Madrid, but someone like Dortmund is a team who I don't think you can mess around with Dortmund. If there were some other second-pot teams, Porto, mm-hmm. something like that, he would be all right. Dortmund's still good. Um, <laughs> and don't forget, that guy who's actually replacing uh, Dembele out mm-hmm. on the right side, is there the left side, uh, is this guy named Pulisic? <laughs> Who kind of seems like the real freaking deal? Who? I don't know. I hate to say right now. I think I think Dortmund are my pick for the, for second in the group. Tottenham can do it. Don't get me wrong. I think Tottenham have the personnel to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just to me, it's coming down to it's going to be a mentality for Tottenham, and they've got to figure something out with Wembley. Yep, it's 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 going to come fast, and like I said, um, everything starts. Against Dortmund, first match week September thirteenth at Wembley. Um, so if they if they can get three points there, they might be on their way to finishing second. Uh, if not, it may be another long Champions League group stage for Tottenham. Absolutely, and that's massive. If they can win at Wembley against Dortmund, that gives them that confidence going forward. And hell, you know, if they got that confidence going forward, I mean, I don't care if Madrid is big bad Madrid. I mean, once again, Tottenham on their given day, they can they can play with Madrid. I have no doubt they can play with Madrid. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm not thinking they're winning a group, but yeah. <laughs> you know, they they're going to have their shots here. It's just going to come down to taking their chances. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we'll see how those pan out here. That's the uh, Champions League. We would talk about Europa, but <laughs> sorry, Arsenal, I'm not going to do it this time. 
One day, maybe. We've already talked enough about you, Arsenal. Yeah, but we're going to talk a little bit more um, because we're going to hit news and notes now. Um, we've already gone on for a while for this podcast, so we're going to we're going to keep this a little short. Um, and we'll also be talking since it's international break this weekend. We'll be doing much more uh, next week as well. Um, but Wes, we'll talk a little bit. I have two questions here listed on the rundown. What has been your biggest transfer story? This Premier League transfer window season, and what? Who do you think was the best transfer so far? As we talk at eleven eleven on Wednesday night, who was the best transfer in the Premier League this far? And you can absolutely pick Mohamed Salah. That's totally fine. <laughs> well, I think through three matches of the three matches of the season, uh, Salah's right up there. I mean, two goals. He's been a big influence in all three Liverpool matches. Um, Alvaro Morata has been better for Chelsea maybe than I thought he was going to be. I mean, he just about brought him back week one. And if he does that, then, you know, they're not quite as we're in the position they're in right now. Um, I thought he's been really good. Uh, obviously, Lukaku is firing for United at this point. I'm, I, I was thinking of saying him, but... I, I, I want to see him actually do it against a good club first. Like he's oh, he's doing fine against not the best right now. And if he wants to justify the transfer fee, I think he has to actually do it against the top teams. But, hey, he's got cover because United is bringing back Zlatan. So who really cares? As he said, he, he just upgraded his number. I mean, all that's going to happen with Zlatan coming back is Lukaku is going to be about a $75 million reserve. Once Latang gets back yeah. and decides he's going to have his way, um, <laughs> I mean, those have all been—they all <laughs> think good signing so far. Um, I, I guess just out of the gate, being a homer, I would go with Salah. I would go with Salah based on the fact that somehow mm-hmm. Liverpool got him for under forty million pounds in this market. Um, so he is, I think he is by far, I think he's going to turn out to be maybe the best value mm-hmm. player in the league this year from a transfer state. Um, of course, also give, give props to Liverpool. There's no one, you know, none of the fans like to do. Give props to the front office. You know, that was a tough transfer to get over. They got that over the line before everything exploded this summer. You know, they got that one done early and it was seen as a lot of money and it did break our transfer record mm-hmm. at the moment. But then, like literally, as soon as as soon as Neymar went, the money has just gotten so stupid that there's literally there's no value left in the transfer market at the moment. Um, so I'll give it to Salah at the moment, but I'm not saying he's going to end up being the best, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mariah, very close second. Um, the transfer story of the summer to me. Um. I mean, obviously, the, the I mean, far and away, the, the Neymar saga has just been, I mean, that's one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen is, you know, a guy who is one of the three best players in the world mm-hmm. at one of the three best, top clubs in the world with this massive mm-hmm. buyout clause and a club just steps up and is like, okay, yeah, we'll pay it. And then... For Neymar to accept leaving a club as steeped in history and as revered in the world as Barcelona to go to yeah. PSG, which, sorry, I mean, wherever you think PSG is a step down from Barcelona. 
just on a worldwide recognition scale. Um, for him to do that to me was incredible. Now it's come out and I'm going to tell you, you know, who's looking mm-hmm. like a genius in this whole deal is Neymar because he sure. may have gotten off this sinking ship before it really started dipping in the water. Um, you know, Neymar may have been the brilliant one. We're like, why the hell is he living in Barcelona? He may have been the smart one. <laughs> um, but obviously, I think that was the one that dominated the summer because, I mean, that got yeah. – that was mainstream. I mean, that that blew up – you know, that was just out of the football realm. That was <laughs> – Everywhere. I mean, you know, NFL players, NBA players, major league players, everybody was talking about Neymar for a week. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so Neymar was on everybody's tongue. Uh, when you when you go a little deeper into it, um, I think the Alexis Sanchez saga is fascinating. Once again, we talked about that a lot earlier. I won't go into, detail, into more detail, but just the ramifications of him leaving or him staying are just mm-hmm. enthralling me. I, I think it's Magnificent. Um, the whole Diego Costa situation. Yeah, that's bizarre. It, and, and we don't even know if that's going to be wrapped up. Exactly. We have like 12 hours exactly. and we don't I mean, know. Rumors that he, the latest rumor I heard on that is that they're going to look to load him out for the first half of the season somewhere and then um, mm-hmm. and then sell him in January to Atlantico. By then, I think if Atletico mm-hmm. didn't have the transfer ban, this would have been done and dusted six weeks ago. Because he wants to go there, they want him yeah. back. And one reason they want him back is because they they're probably feeling they're going to lose. They may lose Antoine Griezmann next summer. Um, that that was the big story that never truly got off the ground. Mm-hmm. By the way. <laughs> that was that was a failure to launch story. Um, and, yeah. uh, which early in the summer was all Manchester United the failure to launch stuff. Uh, all these guys they were going to get and they got none of them. Um, but you know, costing on that, that's a crazy one. Um, when you look at the way it turned out working, Matty Kaida to Liverpool obviously was one that I've been in on all summer. Um, and then I think around England, especially this Virgil van Dyke, will he stay, you know, will they, will they relent and sell him to Liverpool? Will they refuse? And what will happen if he stays? Because that does not look like a relationship that can be mended at this point. Mm-hmm. It's a low-key Alexis Sanchez situation. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, well, here's the difference. Alexis, if Alexis Sanchez stays at Arsenal, he's going to start. He's going to play. There's just no real doubt. That mm-hmm. Van Dyke, I don't know what Van Dyke's going to do. And uh, the backdrop to everything right now is the fact that it's a World Cup year. That's the backdrop to everything. Yeah. So you got Van Dyke who's basically said, I'm not playing for you anymore. I don't give a shit. I'm not playing for you anymore. But is Van Dyke basically willing to put his spot on the Dutch World Cup team on the line? As a 26-year-old, this is his best chance. I mean, is he willing to put that on the line mm-hmm. for his principal to say, fuck you, Southampton, I'm not playing for you anymore. You need to sell me to Liverpool. Um, I mean, I've seen some rumors saying that Liverpool may have to wait till January to go back in for him. Personally, to me, if I'm, if I'm Southampton, I don't really see what the use in that is. Either go ahead and sell him or say, we're keeping you the whole year. I don't see why you keep him half the season and then some to Liverpool where you probably won't get the same fee mm-hmm. that you would now. Um, so that one's been fascinating. I mean, there's, right. you know, in the whole, um, the whole thing, we, I don't think I mentioned earlier, the whole Killian and Bappe deal where an 18 year old is suddenly 
after Neymar, probably the second most expensive player in the world on the back of one good season. Uh, and now what it looks like they're going to do is load yeah. him to PSG and then with a with a buy, with a mandatory buy at the end of the season. That's that's crazy to me. You know, of anyone, I would not want to sell him to PSG. I'd be fine selling him to Madrid or something, mm. but a direct God, rival. to keep him in country, yeah. I mean, that just blows me away. It has been a it has been a, one of the most interesting transfer window summers ever, and a lot of it's been the fees thrown around, the bad feelings, the you know the the side talk. I just I think every year with this twenty four hour news cycle and the internet and all these places, the Bleacher Reports and you know the updates everywhere you can go, there are so many red herrings out there. There is so much um, mm. there's so much hype and so much build around it. I mean, this is to me. This has gone down probably as the craziest summer of them all. And it, as you said, we've got twelve out. We have a transfer deadline day, where there are still so many irons in the fire mm-hmm. that this thing could totally go off the rails before it's said and done. Well, and I was going to say, you know, you mentioned that I, I know I've only this is only my, my fifth or sixth uh, uh-huh. summer transfer period I've really been to. This seemed like also the most nasty one that that, yeah. that I have really seen. When you go, when you have uh, Kita getting into fights allegedly with his team at uh, at Leipzig, uh, with um, with Van Dyke getting into fights at Southampton, with. The the poisoning of the well that apparently is happening with Coutinho, which I texted you, I I never would have expected that to happen with him. Um, with Neymar jumping ship and then Barcelona wanting to sue him and him counter suing Barcelona, this this is this has been a super yeah. ugly summer. Um, it's been fascinating, but this this to me has been. Since I've been covering this, this has easily been one of the most just contentious summers I've seen in the transfer market. And like we say, you know, with um, with whatever the fallout's going to be. I mean, when this is over, then we get to discuss the fallout yeah. because, like I said, there's there are going to be guys. I, I personally, I do not think Liverpool are selling that or selling Coutinho. Coutinho, mm-hmm. once again, in a World Cup year. This is not the year to try to strike as a player. Coutinho's going to have to come back with his tail between his legs and and apologize to Jurgen Klopp and apologize to his teammates. Um, you know, whatever happens if Virgil Van Dyke stays at Southampton, I mean, how how far is he going to dig in his heels? Um, you know, there are going to be guys who are disappointed. What you know, the fallout at Arsenal is going to be fascinating. However, that happens. Um, you know, the fallout at Chelsea with Conte, the fallout at United with Mourinho, if they don't get the players that they want. And it, it, to me right now, it doesn't look like United's bringing anybody else in. And Mourinho's not happy about that. Mourinho mm-hmm. was expecting to bring in more reinforcements this year, and he's gotten a couple. Don't get me wrong, he's gotten a couple. He has not gotten everyone he wanted to get. And, you know, Mourinho has no problem right. expressing his opinion. <laughs> You know, Conte has no problem expressing his opinion. Of course, you know, those two might be pissed by the time it's said and done, just because of players they didn't get. Um, I mean, especially the Premier League, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Liverpool may have gone ahead and at least uh, they went ahead and wrapped up that whole Matty Kaida deal, and that's at least going to that's going to allow him to go out and play for Leipzig this year and and not have in the back of his mind. Yeah, you know, I'm pissed at y'all because you blocked me from going anywhere. 
So I think that's a beneficial move for both sides. I think that's kind of a, that's kind mm-hmm. of quelled that war from from escalating in Leipzig. But man, there are so many fires that are going to have to be put out. It's going to be an incredible fallout from this transfer window. Well, we will see how that goes, and we will be talking much more about that next week because, again, it is international break. Uh, we might touch a little bit about how World Cup qualifying is going, but there will be a lot of transfer talk next week once everything is finally settled. Uh, so that is going to do it, though, for our news and notes segment. Um, as as um, as we move on here, we hit the watch for Wes. What have you been watching in the week that was or the week that will be? Oh, <laughs> I've worked all week. Um, I think I brought this one up before. I, I, I will give you, Ed, the show that we're watching at work. <laughs> we watch Chicago Fire. Now, I, I don't know if you've mentioned I this. I think I've mentioned Chicago Fire yet. This is my favorite guilty pleasure at work right now. Uh, basically, when I work night shift, uh, usually we get about a three to four hour span where it's it's nice and it's kind of quiet and we can do some things and break out the old fire stick and we've been watching Chicago fire. It's an NBC show. It was actually the first, um, of now the Chicago trio where they have spinoffs and worlds that intertwine with Chicago Med- Chicago medical and Chicago, um, law. What's it called? Chicago police. Chicago like that? law or, or I don't know. Chicago PD. Yeah. That's that that, yeah. Oh, yeah, but basically all three of these shows now intertwine. I mean, it has the same characters with the storylines flipping over from show to show. It's quite fascinating. Um, we're up to season three at work. We're about halfway through season three. I believe they're about to kick off either season five or six on NBC coming up. But, you know, this is definitely one, if you want to get into it, you got to go back and start at the beginning because you got to know all the backstories. Um, it's, it is basically one of those like drama soap operas that it's, it's a Dick Wolf show. It is a Dick Wolf show. the creator and, of uh, law and order. Yeah. And we know how good those all are. So, you know, if you're a fan of the law and order type shows or, you know, anything like that, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, with the, with the job I have, I mean, obviously we work closely with fire and police and, you know, emergency medical. So, you know, that, that's basically what I'm sitting there doing at night <laughs> and we're watching on TV and we like to make jokes at work about, uh, the, uh, the characters on the show. You know, we see something happen. Oh, well, Kelly Severin would have taken care of that. No problem. And probably taking his shirt off. It looked amazing doing it. Uh, you know, I like to, I like to throw out there that, um, you know, the EMTs in Nash County don't quite look like the ones on Chicago fire. <laughs> you mean, you mean Jesse Spencer formerly of house isn't, isn't a Nash County fireman. Uh, negative, sir. Negative. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't quite have that um, that that level walking around Nash County too often. Not that I don't love the ladies of Nash County. Don't worry, girls. I'm I'm still with. Uh, but it's a, it's a fun show. We really enjoy it. Um, it's one that sucks you in. Dick Wolf knows how to um, Dick Wolf knows how to keep you keep you on the edge of your seat and begging for next week. So uh, hey, man, quality show. Quality show. That's my watch for this week. The American Horror Story returns. It's going to be cult this year. I have no freaking clue what's going to happen because I don't like reading spoilers. Um, so I'm just I'm super looking forward to that. Uh, and then on the movie scene, it was released this week. The teaser trailer. 
Coming to you for 2018, Super Troopers 2. <laughs> yeah. And this band together. That's right, folks. More Rod Farva in my life. Fantastic. So, um, <laughs> I, I am watching uh, a qu- real quick. Um, it's going to be in Boston this weekend. They're moving from L.A. to Boston. Uh, League of Legends is having their NA North American uh, big series summer finals uh, are going to be taking place at the uh, the TD Garden Center up in Boston. So uh, so that will be on uh, Sunday at three o'clock. Um, it will be Immortals versus Team Solo Mid uh, playing for the, the North American Championship uh, best of five series there. So TSM has been to every final in the history of the uh, North American series. Um, Immortals, this would be their first championship if they can get it. So um, we'll see who manages to pull the trophy home if TSM will will do the double this year as as we like to say if they win spring and summer they'll do the double or if uh, if immortals can claim their first piece of hardware um speaking of hardware though Wes and people getting thrown through it i believe and uh i believe it's time to get a little so raw and i know one thing that got raw this week was john cena's throat from all the yelling he did at Roman Reigns. I uh, owe you guys from last week. Last week, obviously, a massive week. And um, I'm sorry I was I was unable to get you anything for so raw. So let's cover two quick weeks in about less than 10 minutes, okay? Uh, because that daddy's got to get up in about five hours to go to work. Um, okay, so last weekend, uh, SummerSlam sure. weekend, four straight nights in Brooklyn, night one, NXT, takeover. Uh, what mattered? The championship match mattered. Bobby Roode drops the title to Drew McIntyre, um, which kind of uh, cleared the way for Bobby Roode to move up to SmackDown. But that was big, and then the bigness happened after it ended. As Donald Trump would say, it got very bigly very quickly. Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly come out. They taunt the champion, Drew McIntyre, and Ed through the crowd became the favorite wrestler of the Bradshaw household. That's between me and my Princess Callie. Adam Cole, baby, has arrived in NXT. It's absolutely adorable when you see my five-year-old throw her hands up and scream Adam Cole, baby. It is fantastic. Um, Adam Cole comes out of the crowd, lays a beat down. He, Fish, and O'Reilly lay the beat down (laughs) on uh, McIntyre. That's how the show goes off the air. Uh, I may or may not have ejaculated at that moment. Um, spoiler, I did. Um, in my mind, uh, that was that was followed up real quick. I, I NXT <laughs> through NXT tonight. Uh, before we started the show, into the show, we had a uh, Drew McIntyre uh, Roddy Strong match on NXT. Uh, McIntyre obviously goes ahead and retains his title as he's coming up the ramp. He has jumped. By Fish O'Reilly and Adam Cole. Adam Cole dropping him with a DDT on top of the ramp. Uh, they are chased out and away from the building by uh, Stephen Regal, the commissioner of NXT. Uh, he is furious with them jumping him. So no promo yet from Adam Cole. I'm still waiting. But hopefully next week I'll get some Adam Cole. More Adam Cole in my life. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I'm, I'm just so super excited for it. 
at first it was a little weird to me because obviously I know Ring of Honor, Adam Cole. He and Kyle O'Reilly are in, in Ring of Honor were as big of antagonists to each other as there could have been. Uh, there was like pure hatred between the two of them. And now on NXT, we've seen them twice and they're like best friends beating the shit out of Drew McIntyre. So that's a little weird for me. Um, but those three are so good. They're on such a high level. Adam Cole with his in-ring work, with his build, with his look, and with his mic skills, he is one of the absolute best promos in the game right now. He actually might be the best promo in the game when it when it comes down to it. He's he's fantastic. Uh, I mean, he makes everything just sound so natural and real. It doesn't sound like he's memorized any sort of a script. He's just he's just talking. Mm. He's a complete badass with it. He to me, he reminds me of Shawn Michaels which I consider Shawn Michaels to be the greatest wrestler of all time. Uh, right up there, 1A and 1B, he and Ric Flair. So, to, and he reminds a lot of people, Shawn Michaels, not just me, when that's the guy that you're drawing the comparisons to, that's 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 huge. That's huge. He's going to start in NXT. See how long he'll be down there before he comes to the main roster. But Adam Cole is a WWE superstar in the waiting um, So that was, that was actually my whole highlight of the week was just seeing Adam Cole. But SummerSlam came, and I'm not going to go match by match. I'm just going to hit some big ones. Um, AJ Styles retained his U.S. title against Kevin Owens. Um, This almost seems like more of a push toward Kevin Owens' uh, Shane McMahon feud. That's happened the last two weeks on uh, SmackDown. It keeps pushing towards that, pushing toward that. I think that's eventually where we're going to end up. Maybe Survivor Series, maybe Royal Rumble. But that'll be that'll be good because Kevin Owens on the mic is fantastic. He's magnificent, um, and you give him Shane McMahon as a, an enemy, and you could get some really good special stuff. That could be a really special program. Um, shout out Seth Rollins, mm-hmm. Dean Ambrose. They win the SmackDown Championships, or I'm sorry, the Raw Championships. They beat Sheamus and Cesaro. They look really good together. They've got chemistry that was obviously built when they were together in the Shield. Um, it just it, it, it seems like it's reigniting what were two kind of stale cares at the moment. They're not in the world title picture by any means, but they're on a prominent spot on the card. And with Sheamus and Cesaro against them, I mean, that's four really good guys. And the fans are into it. You've got that old Shield feel to it. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a really good story. They're doing well on that story, and they keep doing it. So that's a big one. Um, Alexa Bliss lost her women's championship at Raw, or I'm sorry, at the, at SummerSlam. And then this past week, she won it back from Sasha Hanks. Um, I think right now they see Alexa Bliss as an absolute superstar. You're starting to see her appear on some TV commercials. She's in a Domino's commercial right now. She's really, she's getting a, she's getting a really good push. And I love her. Um, she's the goddess of WWE as her title and. She, she lives up to just, you know, the attitude, the, the way she carries herself. She's she's close to being like the ultimate heel right now. And she's just, she's doing amazing work. Glad to see her back on the mm. strap. And her and Sasha Banks, they have some real issues. So those kind of shone through and kind of put a little extra oomph into those matches. So that was cool to see. Um, Nakamura able to get over the Jinder Mahal hump. Eh, whatever. It's better than Randy Orton, but 
right now. It's just Jinder Mahal. I know why he's a champion because they're about to do a big India tour, and they feel that having a champion who's an Indian will really help push the push ticket sales, push subscribers to the network. But I'll tell you, man, by, by Survivor Series or Royal Rumble, the latest, they've got to do something about you. I just, I don't see, he, he's just, I don't think it's really totally working out him as the champion. So Nakamura comes up short, you know, gets screwed, screwy finish, whatever. But then, my friend, the match of the night, one of the better matches of the year. Oh, my God. I, I had to take two Tylenol PM after this match were over, was over because I was hurting so bad. The Fatal 4-Way, Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman, Samoa Joe. Four men who are known for their hard-hitting style, and they did not disappoint. Brock Lesnar got thrown mm. through two tables. Um, guys were slammed all over the place. Just, I mean, just phenomenal beatdown, 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 beatdowns. And Brock ends up getting stretchered off during the match. To me, this is almost a giveaway because no one ever gets stretchered off and doesn't come back. And that's exactly what happened with Brock. Brock came out, you know, went crazy, was suplexing the shit out of everyone. Ends up uh, pinning, I think, pinned Roman. I think he ended up pinning Roman in that match. Um, So Brock retains the uh, WWE Universal Championship. The next night of Raw, he comes out, and Braun Strowman comes out, and we are now on the collision course for Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar. And I could not be happier because Braun Strowman is so damn entertaining <laughs> because he's like this major redneck who <laughs> he's, I mean, he sounds like he's from Western North Carolina. Let's put it that way. Um, he's like this big redneck. who's just this gigantic monster beast. And he just does shit. I mean, he just beats the hell out of people and him and Brock, they, they've been, it, it's a great build. It's going to be a good match. We're going to see it at no mercy. Um, I'm excited about that. And then the one you talked about a little earlier, you mentioned it. It looks like at No Mercy, we're going to get the match that any smart in the world wanted to see. Roman Reigns versus John Cena. Why? Because the smarts hate Reigns because they think he's just been pushed for push sake. Even though it's hard for him to admit that Roman Reigns is a really, really, really good pro wrestler. He's still not a great promo. And that was called out by John Cena, a guy who wants to give the smart hate because he was just pushed to the top and they think he's a good wrestler. Um, sound familiar so they had a showdown last week on Raw and it, it, it was it was intense this week it went overboard as no one can decide that if this was a shoot or a work shoot or just a straight up work what it yeah. was but basically John Cena and Roman Reigns went right into each other broke down the fourth wall um, you know John Cena looked at Roman and said you know the reason these fans hate you is because you're a cookie cutter uh, built by the office uh, bootleg version of John Cena. Uh, Roman Reigns responds because <laughs> well, then Roman Reigns starts to say something and stutters over one of his words. And John Cena says, you see right there, you can't cut a promo. You got to learn how to cut a promo. It's like, dude, what the hell? This is brutal. And then Roman Reigns gets on. And the worst thing Roman can do when he gets mad, you can see him. He calls somebody a bitch. Because that's kind of like the worst bad word you can say on wrestling these days. You're just a bitch. Uh, <laughs> it was interesting to say the least. I will say it was interesting. It was intense. You were kind of sitting there going, oh, shit. Um, and it looks like they're going to fight at no mercy now. I think they're really pushing this a little <laughs> quick. Um, 
But we'll see where it goes. I'm actually interested to see because against popular opinion, I can tell the truth. John Cena and Roman Reigns are really good professional wrestlers. And no one wants to admit this because, you know, it's, it's more fun and it's cooler just to hate them both. Uh, my, favorite, my favorite part of the first week where they showed down, though, was, uh, you know, usually they're used to coming to the ring and, the ring and hearing Cena sucks, Roman sucks, you know, they're used to that. Well, Brooklyn being the Brooklyn crowd they are, started a chant saying, you both suck. Nice. You both suck. Of course they did. And the entire arena was chanting, you both suck. Oh, that was a highlight of the night for me. But, um, yeah, looks like we're going to see Cena Roman coming up at, uh, at No Mercy. That's the next big Raw pay-per-view coming up. Um, it's, it's a lot to get in over two weeks, and I'm sorry I miss a lot. I didn't go into detail a lot of stuff. But it, it's, it's an exciting time. To me, it's an exciting time right now in WWE. You've got a lot of cool things going on. Um, and I just, I just hope it keeps moving forward. And last but not least, oh, by the way, Bob Roode, as you mentioned earlier, making his debut on SmackDown. Um, he is beloved right now, Bobby Roode's the man. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I just I can't wait to see Adam Cole on my major network television someday soon. Uh, I, just, I think Adam Cole's going to take over the wrestling world. He's that damn good. One day. One day soon, we can hope he will. Um, Adam Cole, baby. Too sweet. Um, and that, that is going to do it for our edition of So Raw this week. And that is also going to do it for this edition of the Afford Affair podcast. As I mentioned, we'll be back next week with much more Premier League transfer talk um, and even maybe a little bit of World Cup qualifying recap. We'll see. I don't know about that, though. Uh, the dogs of Sao Paulo are barking, which means it's time to get out of here. I want to thank NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com. You can find them on Twitter. You can also find us on Twitter at AFA Pod is our collective. Wes, you are? I'm at Wes Bradshaw 21. I'm at Edward Green. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube via our father show, the all-new sports show. You can also email us, allnewsportshow at gmail.com. Thanks to our podcast providers, including podbean.com, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn Radio app, uh, Google Play Music, and the iTunes Music Store. Once again, this podcast is powered by Zencaster. We'll catch you guys next week. But before we get out of here, Wes, is there anything you'd like to add? Folks, it's back. We are into week three of the high school football season. Oh, my God. I mean, it's, it's been a crazy start. Um, Rocky Mountain having the growing pains this year. In, but I think by the time they hit the Big East Conference, that's going to be a team to reckon with. Southern Nash, oh, my God, they look fantastic. Uh, Northern Nash, they haven't scored in two weeks. They've given up a lot, though. So That's not good. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, <laughs> very arsenal. Yes, very, very arsenal. Tarboro, they're probably the best 1A team to stay in. Um, they look fantastic. I'm seeing Shocking. them this week. Uh, that game has been moved up due to some rain coming into the area on Friday. We're going to have that on Thursday right now. Um, Wouldn't it always be on Thursday? No, no. Remember, they always played on Friday, and everybody else, a lot of other teams played on Thursday. But yeah, yeah, it does work out on Thursday this year. So, um, College football kicks off this weekend. Oh, what's that Saturday night football? Alabama, Florida State, number one versus number three to start the season. Um, yes, please. I think I'm going to be watching that. Well, that's uh, and then some league starts the next week. That some people are excited about. I don't really know what that is. Um, last but not least, from us, man, our hearts, our hearts in Texas this week, man. That's Jesus God. As people who have lived through, um, you know, uh, century floods of the century twice, mm-hmm. um, as you and I both have. <laughs> I mean, hey, the first one was in nineteen ninety-nine. Their flood yeah, of the yeah. century, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it's around early two thousands. We got another flood of the century. 
Um, what they're going through in Houston, I mean, let's put it this way. Hurricane Matthew a year ago, uh, they hit eastern North Carolina so hard. I believe we topped off at 24 inches of rain. They more than doubled that in the Houston area. 50-plus inches of rain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's absolutely insane. I know a few people down in Houston who, luckily, um, they weren't in the area that was really damaged too bad. You know, thank goodness for them. But, man, there are so many people down there that need your help. You know, folks, check out ways that you can help. Even if it's just giving, hey, five, ten dollars do what you can. I mean, I know times are tough. I know it's tight on a lot of us, but I mean, if you can do anything to help, you know, now's a great time because like I said, we've gone through this before mm-hmm. and it, we know how bad it sucks in our area. We know how bad it sucks for those people and they really need some help. So, you know, good luck to them. And, um, you know, as we said, uh, our, our hearts are in Texas, in Texas and uh, of course, uh, Western Louisiana as well. Not, not believe our, our Louisiana brethren. Of course. So our, our thoughts are with you. Please get, you know, do what you need to do. And, and just, if you are out there listening to this, donate something. If, if you can't get down there and donate time, and I know that's a big ask, donate money, any, any, literally any little bit helps right now. Yeah, so, exactly. so do what you can to, to help us, uh, to help our brothers out there down in Texas. So from a call in crime, Wes Bradshaw, I am Edward Green. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on episode 173 of the Foreign Affair podcast. And until we are together again, especially you guys down in Texas, stay safe. And if you get the chance, enjoy some football. We'll catch you guys next week. Good night, Brazil. Thanks for making sure Coutinho was okay for us. You know, if 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 Klopp just hadn't said, "Oh, you know, I I don't think he's going to be able to play with them. He's uh, he's uh, he might be able to go down and train, but I don't think he'll be able to play." No, he's in perfect health. Oh, well then. Coutinho said, "Hold my beer." Yep. Excuse me. Coutinho said, "Hold my milk." Hold 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 my caparina. Because he looks like a child. You're listening to NGSE Sports Radio. Hear us live on NGSEsports.com where you can get awesome analysis for all things sport. Or check out our podcasts on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, iTunes, TuneIn, and much more. For our latest videos, head to NGSE Sports YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at NGSE Sports and like us on Facebook. NGSE Sports. We never stop.